0: Almighty God, our Heavenly Father We thank Thee that we can come to Thee In the confidence that because Thou art God We stand secure in Thee And so, Father, in the midst of a troubled world We come to Thee, our refuge and our strength Make us strong and be in bold in terms of thy word, that we may face the kingdoms of darkness and the confidence that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Our scripture this afternoon is. From the Gospel according to Saint John, the third chapter, verses 1 through 15. Regeneration and History. John 3, 1 through 15. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not, that I have said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? <clears throat> No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This passage of scripture has a curious history in modern times. It has been totally neglected by modernists, in other words, by vast segments of the church. On the other hand, in some circles, some fundamentalistic circles, it is treated as though it were the entire scripture. So that in many a church, this is almost all you hear over and over again. Now certainly this is a fundamental aspect of our faith, basic to us, the foundation. But the ABCs we have, not that we might forever concentrate on the ABCs, but that Using the ABCs, we might go on to knowledge. And so, regeneration is the beginning of the Christian life. And we cannot confine our gospel to regeneration, basic as it is. Then, in treating this passage, we unfortunately find that Nicodemus is often subjected to all kinds of abuse. And a great many things are read into the text. First of all, we are told that because he came by night, it meant that he was afraid of what people would say. Now, there's no hint of this in the scripture. Not a word of it. He could have come by night because it was a time when there would not be crowds around our Lord and there could be opportunity for extended and quiet discussion. Certainly, Nicodemus gave no evidence of being a coward. He came that night earnestly to inquire of our Lord. He left a believer Certainly, we meet with him very shortly, for example, in John 7, verses 42 to 52, as one who stood for Christ and was taunted and ridiculed as being one of his followers. Then at the time of our Lord's crucifixion and death, when the eleven disciples fled, two men held their ground and took charge of his body and his burial. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. This is not the act of a coward. The Jewish records tell us that Nicodemus was driven out of his high position in Judea and suffered seriously because of his faith. It's too bad that he must suffer now at the hands of some preachers We take the two words that he came by night and read all kinds of fantasy into it. We know that our Lord declared that we should not cast pearls before slime, nor holy things before dogs. And our Lord was here dealing with some of the pearls of scripture and the holy things of God And he was giving them to Nicodemus because he had a receptive and respectful ear. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. Greek scholars tell us that the words stand very emphatically in the original, that they can be transcribed as, it is from God, not from man, that thy title teach to teach is derived. Nicodemus was saying to him, Rabbi, teacher, Your learning comes not from the schools, but directly from God, and your activity also is from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. What we have in this passage is a synopsis of the high points of their evening discussion. And we know that Nicodemus was dealing with the problem of history and the problem of man. And he was saying, in effect, what hope is there for man and mankind? History continually ends in a dead end. The sin of man overwhelms everything that man attempts." And over and over again, whether you look to the Old Testament history or you look to the history of the world outside of the chosen people, you see the same thing endlessly. Man's sin destroying his every attempt to build something. Man's sin ultimately destroying man. Man going down to his grave in misery, overwhelmed. By the burden of sin and death. What hope is there for man and for history? Jesus answered and said unto him. Verily, verily I say unto thee. Except a man be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus said the answer is being born again. Rebirth. Regeneration. And Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time in his mother's womb and be born? Now Nicodemus was not being ridiculous, Nor was his speech carpet. Nicodemus was a scholar. And he knew the problem of history. Every religion, every philosophy has wrestled with this problem and failed to come up with an answer. Philosophies and religions have had no trouble understanding the problem and the need for punishment. Their problem has been to understand spiritual regeneration in Asia, culminating in India, this problem has been a century-old debate going back to the antiquities of India, for example. And they have seen the burden of sin and guilt steadily destroying men. And their answer has been that this burden, this karma, can only be worked out through endless cycles of reincarnation. Man's lot is a hopeless one and his only hope is that through perhaps millions of reincarnations he will finally work out the guilt work out the sin the burden of history and escape into oblivion into nirvana into endless death and for them history therefore is a hopeless area it is a veil of misery and of woe that all man can look for in history is to better his lot, rightly so that in his next reincarnation he will be closer to eternal death to an escape from himself from the burden of his sins from the burden of guilt and so the goal of history is the end of history in nirvana, in eternal death. In the West, similarly, this same view of history as one of endless return, a cycle, man endlessly repeating his own sins and faults, repeating his past, ever the same, unable to get out of the rut of his own nature this too has been an oppressive vein and the dominant vein in western thought and again in western thought the hunger has been for the end of history something to end it something to stop the works, something to break this cycle of sin and guilt But here the answer has been somewhat different. It has been that history will be ended by revolution. And the purpose of revolution is to stop history in its tracks, to exert total control on man, and then to remake him so that he is no longer bound by history. If need be, according to Marxist Thought, to obliterate self-consciousness in man so that man functions like the ant and the anthill and history is ended for him and thereby he escapes being himself he finds relief he finds rest in the revolution which brings the end of history Both in the east and west, therefore, it is pessimism, despair. It is an attempt to end history. It is the despising of this world and of this creation. And this has been the burden of philosophy, and it was the burden of philosophy and of religion in our large day. Nicodemus is aware of all these things. And so when he raised this question, he said, in effect, Lord, how is this possible? How can a man wipe out his history of grown man? How can he nullify it? Short of ceasing to be and being born again in his mother's womb, going back and being born and starting all over again. How can you escape yourself? And Nicodemus was being logical. Humanly speaking, the answers had been given. And short of this, there was no other way. Somehow ceasing to be. And entering the second time in his mother's womb and being born. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Indeed, Nicodemus, That which is born of the flesh of human nature will inevitably reveal itself, its human nature. But that which is born of the Spirit of God will reveal what is of God, what is of the Spirit. And except a man be so born, of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Regeneration, then, our Lord said, is the answer. Not karma and reincarnation. Not revolution and the end of history in that fashion. But regeneration. Now, as the unbeliever approaches the doctrine of regeneration, his attitude is one of skepticism. First, he says, well, this is wiping out the past, and it is treating men as puppets. He rails at God for treating men as puppets. Yet at the same time, as he comes to regeneration, he complains that he knows a lot of people who have been born again, and they aren't too different as far as he can see, and so he says, how can it be when it doesn't do everything? But history is not canceled out by regeneration. If you have false teeth when you're saved, you don't suddenly develop a new set of teeth after your conversion. And if you can't sing and you only quote before you are converted, you don't sing like Caruso the day after your conversion. You are still the same man. You have the same abilities, the same talents. Because God respects his work of creation which you are. He does not destroy. Instead, he brings you to your fulfillment in him. He wipes out the burden of sin and guilt. And he gives you a new nature. The new humanity of Jesus Christ. Regeneration means that all things are restored, remade, and brought to fulfillment. And the purpose of being born again is not to destroy us, but to save us. And to bring into their proper perspective into their proper function every aspect of our being and the regenerated person above all else should be the happiest and enjoy life more than anyone else because now every aspect of his being is brought into its proper focus and if he grows in terms of his regeneration then He grows in terms of what he was created to be in terms of his destiny under God. The fulfillment of our regeneration is in the new creation. When all things are made new and we ourselves are brought to our. Fulfillment in the resurrection body. And throughout all eternity, we enjoy the fullness of life in all its potentiality and without any curse, without any burden of sin or a world limited by sin. It is the fulfillment of every urge and impetus of our being and of all creation it is our Lord said by water and of the spirit by water this signifies purification forgiveness of sins baptism the old is cleansed and purified And the forgiveness of sin brings us a good conscience before God. The past is not destroyed, but forgiveness covers it. The totality of our past is now put to the glory of God, as Paul declared in romans eight twenty eight We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. So that when we are regenerated, everything works together for good unto us. And everything in our past, all the mistakes, and they are mistakes, and all the sins that are really sins, God now makes them work together for good because we are his. So that the path with all its grief is now put into a focus whereby all things work together for good. Regeneration is also not only of the water Forgiveness of sins, but of the Spirit. A new life. The life of Christ. his perfect humanity. Now possesses us. So that we are no longer understandable, merely in natural terms. Hence we are always more than the world sees of us. The world sees us just as any other person. When we become members of Jesus Christ, we are more than the world knows. One of the most moving accounts of recent years was the autobiography of an English missionary, an Anglican, in China when the Communists took over. He had grown up in very well do circumstances in England. His life as a missionary, although rather primitive as compared to his life in England, he was still very good. Now, a prisoner of the Chinese commune, he knew that he would face torture. That they would make every attempt to break him down and to make him their puppet as a prize exhibit. And he knew that he had undergone, gone no hardship in his life and no problems, no sufferings, and his reaction was one of fear and terror that he would crumble and would be a disgrace to his God. more than once he did profit, but always there was this self. he was more than himself <clears throat> he was now also the new man Jesus Christ and so he came through the experience because there was more involved in everything that happened to him than himself. This is our strength as Christians, and this is one of the aspects of regeneration. When we are born again, there is now always in us more than ourselves. There is the new man, Jesus Christ, so that we are always more than the world. Weapons with. Thus, we are a mystery to the ungodly. We act contrary to their common sense. We escape their snares by the providence of God. When they try to drown us, we come up with a fish between our teeth. We are the lost and his hand is upon us. For God's purpose in regeneration is not to destroy us as the purpose of revolution and of reincarnation is, but to recreate us. The work of regeneration is not destructive, but regenerative. So loves the world, that is His creation, that He is recreating it by saving men. And its purpose is the restitution of all. Thus, the forgiveness of sins destroys fatalism, karma, the cyclical view of history, the concept of revolution. These aspects of all non Christian religions and philosophies. And rebirth, the new creation begun in us, means a new society whose foundation is the new man, Jesus Christ, the second Adam. This, then, is our choice today as individuals and as a world. Either to go the way of the old world, or this attempt to destroy history, which means destroying man, Or the way of Jesus Christ, regeneration, change by God's Holy Spirit. And the Lord's way is the way of victory, of release from the burden of sin and guilt. from death. So that we can say with the saints of the New Testament there is no anxious concern about the past. It is Christ that died. There is no anxious striving toward an ideal. It is Christ that rose again. In him all the Christians' hopes are centered. His life is his Christ in God. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank Thee for the glorious word of newness of life in Jesus Christ. We thank Thee that in Him we have regeneration, we are saved, and we have the blessed assurance, our Father, that all our sins have blotted out and that we have a glorious destiny in time and in eternity in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray, Father, that thou wouldst make us bold in witnessing to this fact, that our world, which is trying to destroy itself, may find itself in Jesus' Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen. Are there any questions now? Uh, yes. When we read on there
1: and we repeat after it said over and over again in several places that people that do not believe in Jesus Christ, that we extended people gratefulness or in
2: heaven, it couldn't be any more
1: plainly stated. Right. How can so called Christians uh, all over the world? That is that as non-Christians they
2: believe the same God will be
0: brothers and Yes. Because, as you said, they are so-called Christians. They're not real ones. But then they are. Yes, but thinking uh, doesn't make things so. I knew a man once who thought he was a millionaire, <laughs> and. Uh, he was usually an inmate of an institution. Unfortunately, we have a lot of people like that running things today. Yes?
2: Concerning about the in chapter 3.
1: Uh, Dr. Swift uh, explains it this way that there are two groups of Pharisees, one in the original text called the Shama Pharisee and one in the Pharisee. And I was wondering if you were in agreement with this, that perhaps Nicodemus and uh, Joseph Arimathea were of the true Pharisee, uh, believing what they were doing with an honest purpose while the Shama Pharisee were the true synagogue of Satan.
0: I think that's a rather artificial distinction the Pharisees were a party in Israel and there were three main religious parties the two main ones were the Sadducees and Pharisees and the Essenes were a third and relatively minor party which uh, we know more about nowadays through the Dead Sea Scrolls now both For all three of them essentially believed in salvation by works, That man was going to work out his salvation by creating the right kind of social order. And personal order. So that all three were more or less concerned with politics. The Essenes more with building their own exclusive society. There were degrees and variations in the kind of Pharisaic faith that existed. But essentially, the Pharisees were united. The basic difference was that the Pharisees said they believed the Bible without any variation, but they made it of none effect, as our Lord said, with their traditions or as the Pharisees, or the Sadducees, did not profess to hold to the Bible. So that the Sadducees, we might say, were the honest modernists, and the Pharisees were the dishonest modernists. Now, since these were the only religious perspectives that were upheld at that time, Either people just paid no attention to these things and went their own way and became humble believers, completely disregarding all of this, as you have today in many of the apostate churches, or else as scholars, and no doubt Nicodemus was one such, they studied all these things for perpetually seeking, knowing that this was not the answer. But at least saying, well, paratheism is better than Thereseism, but what is the answer? This is not it. So that to find a good element in paratheism, I doubt. And this is the kind of thing that Finkelstein has uh, extensively taught and has become basic with many... Um, Christian pastors, in fact, Finkelstein's two-volume book on the Pharisees has had more influence on theological education in the past generation than many yet in other books. But this is essentially Finkelstein's position that we mustn't look at the absurdities in Phariseism. Basically, the main tradition was a great and a glorious thing, and Jesus simply represented Phariseeism at its best. And of course this I think is not good.
2: Okay.
0: Oh yes. It's been suggested I speak of the film strip that was shown at uh Santa Ana, not very far from no, uh Buena Park Tuesday night. Uh Mr. Paul Hacksteady has set up an organization which will put out film scripts for adult Christians, for mature Christians. His thinking is that too long the people in the churches and Christian groups have been coddled with the most elementary kind of thinking, whereas the opposition Doesn't coddle its members. If you join the Communist Party, even if you're a long-term, you sit down with a volume of Lenin's works and you're assigned reading and you have to take an examination on that reading. And so, Mr. Hackstead, he has felt that we should have some natural film scripts for use with Christian groups and various college groups. Going into the Christian perspective on things. And I wrote the text for the first one and narrated it. And Publius Associates, which is Bill Richardson and his group, have done the pictures. It's the necessity for creationism. And there was a preview of it, not yet in completed and polished form, Tuesday night. It will be available to various groups for, I believe, something like $15, so that if you know of any church groups or other groups that could make use of it, it's a fairly reasonable sum. As I say, it will be the first in a series. It will deal very seriously and uh, intensively with various subjects this first is on creationism another will be on statism from the biblical perspective critique and other similar subjects what kind of film strip. no yes those of you who've seen, uh, Bill Richardson's film strip on the Berkeley, uh, situation will recognize exactly the type of thing it is. Yes?
2: Uh, I get the feeling that, uh, that there really was a greater distinction in the class within the fair season that, uh, Gamaliel and Nicodemus, uh, actually opposed, uh, the brother Pharisees, uh, in the ninth trial of the Sanhedrin, there was a willingness on the part of Jesus to communicate, uh, for instance, in this case, in Nicodemus, while in other cases, he specifically wouldn't communicate at all with the Pharisees, and they were opposed to the father of the devil. So,
0: so what's pretty is there, there must have been some, uh, fraternal pleading of some sort. No, and Gamaliel never did make a break. Samelio stayed with them. Uh, so that all you can say is that there were a few superior men among them, but the overwhelming majority, in fact virtually all, stayed with Pharisees. And those who did become converts became a problem within the church, because they wanted to bring their Pharisees with them, and these were the Judaizers who went around and made so much trouble for Paul. And they finally separated themselves from the church and formed a couple of uh, separate sects, the Ebionites and others, and finally... uh, disappeared from history, but Phariseeism was in essence hostile to the biblical faith. The fact that there were some superior men among them, men who were superior to Phariseeism, shouldn't be attributed to Phariseeism. In other words, what Nicodemus was was not because he was a Pharisee, but because he was dissatisfied with Phariseeism. And uh, this was the reality of the situation. But there is no evidence of anything there in Phariseeism at all of a uh, good character. Phariseeism can best be described as Talmudism because Talmudism is the uh, quintessence of the Pharisaic attitude. It was humanism applied to the faith, but using the form of the faith. I'm not trying to
2: defend on the meritheism, but really this distinction of the
0: willingness to communicate and not to
2: communicate.
0: Yes, but this was not a part of Phariseeism and this is my point, but the fact that these men were superior and discontented with what they were getting. The Pharisees were very unpopular, even with their own people, because of this tremendous pride that characterized them. And the Galileans, in particular, had no use for the Pharisees, but the Galileans took a very practical attitude towards the religion, and that's why you find the frequent phrases of contempt for anyone who uh, was inclined to disagree with them. And, of course, Nicodemus was asked, Are thou art thou also of Galilee? Are you one of these who has no use for our tradition and our beliefs? And Phariseeism uh, was characterized also by a tremendous pride Pharisee was, of course, a consummate scholar. And as a scholar, he despised the common people because they didn't have his learning. So that it was almost uh, a position that uh, you are cattle and we are men. And as cattle, you have some status if you obey us pride that was inherent in Phariseeism was tremendous. One of my favorite stories concerns one of the Pharisees who was regarded as the closest uh, to perfection of any in any of the schools of rabbis. And there was one point at which they said he lacked perfection. He was not humble. He knew how learned he was, how rigidly he kept the law, and uh, never failed to let people know it. So the one thing keeping him back from perfection was his lack of humility. So after he was criticized on this score by a number of uh, other rabbis, he began to put on a great facade of humility, and to speak of himself as the most unworthy of scholars, uh, the least of rabbis, and so on and so forth, and gradually acquired quite a reputation as being humble, and now the perfect rabbi. There was no rabbi anywhere that equal him and on one occasion when he was being introduced as the greatest of rabbis and the a rabbi was come uh, to the point of perfection in his keeping of the law and so on and so forth after the long introduction was finished uh but no mention made of his great humility the rabbi before the man could sit down tugged at his robe and said You forgot to say that i'm humble too <laughs> and that was uh, Phariseeism. And uh, it did have this tremendous pride. It was confident it was saving itself. And that's why, of course, everything that Jesus said was an offense to them, and that's why Jesus singled them out over and over again epitomizing all of his evil. In Judaism. Yes.
1: yes, we have, though, not so hard on the subject, but I think uh, uh, in my uh, parallels were perhaps rule little properly put. But I was contending not just that perhaps there's any goodness in Phariseeism whatsoever, but as in our modern day pagan society or in Freemasonry, the both of the people are intent on doing what's been shoved into them intellectually, but through the intellectuals. And they believe in the world government and all of this, and they work diligently towards that end. However, there's a very small 3 or 4% who sit quietly in the background using these people as friends, and who are in full knowledge of where they're going. That's called the chaos that lays within. And perhaps this synagogue of Satan uh, was a very specific thing that Jesus pointed out within Pharisees themselves, who were totally aware that Phariseeism was just a And then behind this lay those who who were the devil themselves?
0: No, I don't think we can make that distinction because no one was called a Pharisee unless he went through years of intensive study in the rabbinic method of interpretation. Therefore, the average person was not called a Pharisee. He could be called a follower of the Pharisees, but he was not a Pharisee unless he were a rabbi or a lawyer who had dedicated years and years to this kind of study. So that the Pharisees were an elite group who had dedicated years simply to the study of the law in terms of their concept of interpretation. Now, as I indicated earlier, there were earnest people in their midst who believed this earnestly and yet were discontented. This did not absolve them of the responsibility. Paul, for example, said he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees and as such persecuted the church. Nicodemus, was a Pharisee. But this doesn't mean that he didn't change. And we must say that before he became a believer, he did participate in the fall of man. He was a member of a fallen humanity. And although we might say he was better than most, he was still a sinner. And he was party to all that was evil in Israel. This was his regeneration. And we can't nullify the fact that there was a before and after in the life of Nicodemus. There was a point at which he became saved. Before that, he was a Pharisee. One of the better ones, but still a Pharisee, a party to everything there. After that, a Christian. So that you can't give credit for what he became to one group within Phariseeism, but to Jesus Christ with regenerating power.
1: I was going in the other direction, not towards Christ, but towards Satan himself. For instance, the in Pharisees of today, the holiest of the holy, are the Kabbalists, and yet most Pharisees today are not Kabbalists and not uh, not uh, learned in that school. They know of it, of course, but uh, you know the Orthodox, which are uh, well, an anti-Christ group, certainly, but still not pro-Satan whereas the Kabbalists
0: and Christians are Satan you can't use Satan as a test you have to use Christ anyone who is not for Christ is with Satan so that anyone who is not a believer who is not a Christian whether he says uh, that he's a fine man or whatever he claims to stand for he is with Satan Whether he is actively and consciously or just as one of the crowd drifting is irrelevant as far as the final issues are concerned. So that we cannot use the yardstick of Satan, we have to use the yardstick of Christ and say, where do you stand in terms of him? And as far as the ultimate issues are concerned, the shades of variation make no difference. You can be guilty of killing one man or guilty of killing ten, but you're still a murderer, and the penalty is death. Specifically, can't you
1: be guilty of murder through manslaughter and be suffer level, a lesser, lesser penalty than
0: yes. that person about the intent to kill? Yes, but I didn't speak of manslaughter, but murder. Manslaughter is different; it is, it is accidental and not uh, willful intent. And every man is either for or against Christ by willful intent. He has decided to neglect him to turn his back on him. Or he has, by the Holy Spirit, accepted him. We have to make Christ the center. He is the dividing line. Yes.
2: I, I caught an implication there in your reference to, uh, Nicodemus and I guess they Paul too. Uhm, there was a degree of dissatisfaction in Nicodemus, as you pointed out. His issues is this usually the thing that the non-believer has in, uh, in, uh, in, the conversion to Christ. And some degree of dissatisfaction
0: in themselves, regardless of whether they're aware of it or not. Is this, is this huge usually true? Yes, and the scripture says that this is the work of the Holy Spirit that brings them to Christ. That they are dead in their sins and trespasses. That which brings them to Christ, the dissatisfaction, everything, is itself the work of the Holy Spirit. So that from the time they begin to show dissatisfaction to the time of their... Regeneration, the Holy Spirit is moving within them. Because the dead man cannot bring himself to life. And Paul says emphatically that men apart from Christ are spiritually dead in their sins and trespasses. I was thinking of a book
2: I read many years ago, Twice Born a man by you. In these cases you remember, uh, Everett, the most mundane cases. Mm-hmm. Men in the gutter, you know, and no conception of feeling why the conversion happened, but yet it did not
0: happen. Yes. But how would you explain those cases, by the way? You have to explain all cases in terms of the supernatural, the Holy Spirit of God. This is the only way you can explain it. Because in every case, This is it. It is by water and by the Spirit. There is the outward that we see and that we witness, and there is the inward, which is the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. I could go on and delineate a good many more very dramatic cases of people who have been saved under the strangest circumstances. I saw among Indians, people who uh, had never given any evidence of this and this. In one case, a young woman who came to a, a meeting with a couple of friends came in late so that she was there for only part of the service. I think she had had several drinks when she came in. She asked two or three questions as she went out. And when I answered her, she said, That's true. It has to be true, and I believe. Which I thought was a very offhanded way to deal with the whole thing. She said it rather thoughtfully, but... I didn't think I'd see her again, because uh, she was a particularly wild young girl. She was married to a young man from California who was part Indian. And the next Sunday, to my surprise, she did walk into the city. Quite late. She was there. She was there about three Sundays after that. Very earnestly, very happily listening to everything that was said, and giving every evidence of regeneration. I believe it was the fourth Sunday after that she was not there. I thought, well, maybe it was just a flash in the pan, but I found she was in the hospital. She had pheresis of the brain. In other words, syphilis that struck her brain. She died a long lingering and very painful death, and yet conscious to the last, and about the most radiant uh, death I have ever seen, so that uh, she almost glowed. and there was only one thing you can say about her. She was a Christian, and she died most beautifully. And even those who came around her, Indians, medicine men, and all, uh, were moved by the whole thing. This was supernatural. She had never been inside of the church or inside of a Sunday school, never listened to any preaching before. But she was And in that case, as in every case, it is the work of God, of the Holy Spirit. Now, many, many such. Cases to Sometimes it's dramatic, sometimes it's gradual. This varies from person to person, but in every case, it is the work of God. And this is the answer to history. Yes? I just that young presentation
1: of uh,
2: uh, like...
0: Some people are definitely and genuinely saved as a result of Billy Graham's crusading, but on the whole, in most cases it isn't too lasting nor is it too real because the weakness there is that there is a very real spirit of compromise and Billy Graham does very definitely work with modernists with the council of churches and in fact the council of churches usually get a cut out of his crusade so that they are as a result quite favorable uh, to everything that he does And he avoids offending any of these people. Not too long ago, when he was in Washington, D.C. in February for the presidential breakfast, the essence of his message was that fire that our Lord had came to cast on earth that was going to divide men for or against him with the civil rights movement we had to be for it. Now, I think the best answer to Billy Graham is what John said in his second epistle, the tenth verse. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's feet, for he that biddeth him God's feet is partaker of his evil deeds. Now, I think that states it plainly enough. Anyone who compromises, anyone who works with such people as Billy Graham does, we cannot be part of it. And yet Paul admits that by the grace of God, even some who were hostile to him. And basically, self-seeking people who are not true Christians, by their preaching, sometimes souls are saved. This is God's work. It's, it's never man's work. So God is pleased to do it sometimes through the foolishness of man. Yes. Can I ask you another question? Sure. Uh, i very
2: They're not neighborhood, I've known a man who's still a young man. And uh, for over 10 years, he's become very obsessed with, with reading the Bible and its meaning to him. And uh, he, back during this time, because of the way the Bible he is very spiritual, because this is what he should do. And he's, he's, not a, uh, he's not off, you know, he's not a mm-hmm. off either, he's not a man. So he, just, he is very strong reading the Bible. In fact, there are four versions of it which he has studied thoroughly. And he tells me that in fact i on the road we had a conversation about this, and he said that for ten years he has prayed, he received the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost. But yet he hasn't. Now, if there's no question about this man's sincerity and his diligence, what in his case now is the obstruction.
0: He is laboring under some very false doctrines. Uh, There are some churches that believe that first you're saved and then you have a special baptism of the Holy Spirit. Most of these churches, though not all, tend to be of the Pentecostal variety.